Welcome to The Power of Digital Policy, a show that helps digital marketers, online communications directors, and others throughout the organization balance out risks and opportunities created by using digital channels. Here's your host, Christina Podner. A big welcome to everyone listening today. My colleague and friend, Pat Doherty, is with me to talk about managing IT risk, simplifying complexity, security, and building systems that can be measured, managed, and scaled. I might also ask him a question or two about policy since he told me secretly that he wrote some reasons. So we're both chuckling. I had this big grin on my face because I've known Pat for many years and have seen him successfully leading large and small teams connecting dispersed business and technology work streams. He has so much knowledge and experience to share. So super excited. Just want to jump in. Pat, welcome to the Power of Digital Policy. Chris, thanks for inviting me. This is such a thrill. And I'm, I was telling my wife how excited I was to get to chat with you on, on the pod and and just connect. You've always been a, a great leader and just a, a great colleague and a good friend. So thanks for having me. Well, thanks. I feel like it's just, I should just slip you your bonus money right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but let's do this. You've done a lot of things in your career. Most recently, you've spearheaded some great transformation at a national nonprofit organization. I don't want you to divulge any secret sauce, but let's just dive in. Tell us a little bit about that initiative. What have you been up to lately? Sure. Yeah. Well, when I got to the American Society for Radiation Oncology, what really struck me immediately was that I had a team of dedicated and smart and mission-oriented people. The mission comes before everything else, and they're the best. They really care about servicing the mission of education and advocacy, and my team really cared about making Astro work better. Where I saw an opportunity you know, for me to add value, you won't be surprised, it was to bring a bit of a consultant's mindset to the goal of goal management and operations, um, three basic phases of successful consulting, discover what's going on, plan, and then implement. So when you sort of tackle change management, um, the thing I wanted to start with at Astro was listen to my colleagues in management, my colleagues you know, on my team, and colleagues kind of horizontally across the organization, and then figure out what's the set of strategic goals. What's a small set of strategic goals that you can communicate top down and bottom up throughout the organization and you can tie it to everything you communicate as you're talking to the the executive suite everything you communicate as you talk to middle management everything you communicate as you talk to you know every new person who joins the organization and we came up with five goals manage IT risk IT security obviously that's at the top of everybody's mind right now simplify the tech stack manage the application life cycles communicate and train and partner and innovate. And what we really um, invested a lot of time in was, okay, you know, get the individual goals, the, the yearly individual goal planning process lined up with these categories so that instead of a kind of a set of, oh, I'm interested in doing this project and it doesn't you know, really line up with anything else anybody else is doing, you have people saying, okay, how are we going to, for example, manage IT security better? Or how are we going to simplify the tech stack? And then you have a team working on it because everybody's goals have to line up to, everyone's individual goals have to line up to those strategic goals on the IT team. Um, I'm really enjoying listening to you talk about this because it's fascinating. You've taken this framework that you mentioned as sort of the traditional consulting um, approach or model, but here you are inside of an organization 
And for a lot of the listeners, they're actually inside of an organization day to day. They don't have the luxury of being a consultant. You know, it's like you can't just you know advise something and walk away. And you're in that position now, right? right? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So has that been a challenge or? I've really enjoyed it. My career, as you know, as was was in consulting, IT consulting, and in you know the financial services space. So this is kind of a whole new space for me: the healthcare space and not consulting, essentially. And it's it's been pretty great, especially with a mission-driven organization and the the people that come with that. The commitment they they have is really it's a leverageable asset. And if you, if you have a little bit of guidance and you write down the things that you want to do over three years, people will buy into it because they're they're driven that way. It, it's very important, of course, like you have to connect those goals, those strategic goals with an end result that's improving the organization. It can't just be some random goal that you kind of got high on, I guess. It's got to be something that resonates. They have to be goals that resonate with the organization and things they see in their day-to-day work. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I'm also thinking too, every uh, organization that I've worked with that has a strong mission. One of the things that I find, especially in the nonprofit or sort of the NGO space, it's the people aren't making millions of dollars. And so they're there usually for the mission, more so than in the financial services sector necessarily. And so that also helps, I think, in terms of staying within these guardrails or like within policies and doing the right thing, because people inherently are so dedicated. They want to do the right thing. That's what they're there for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's, it is amazing. That, that was a mindset change that I had to kind of process. I come from, you know, finance background and working in financial services for 20 years on the IT side, certainly. But the kind of money culture in that industry is a different motive. It's a different motivator than, than what you get on the nonprofit mission, you know, mission oriented industries. So that was, that was a big change for me and a change I was seeking. That's something I was seeking out, but it's been very inspiring to see how my, my teammates, the, the people who work for me, the people who are across horizontally across the organization and then the leaders of the organization, how they think about how to advance the mission of the organization. Because they do it in everything they do. It's very, every day is very practical about that. And so very practical day-to-day stuff, but achieving great things, going through transformation. As an executive, how do you recognize the lessons learned from these real life transformation experiences you're having and maybe some pilots? And how do you bake that into the culture? Like how do you change the culture so that it's more transformative going forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I like to tell my team, I say this a lot and they probably like get, they're probably so bored of hearing me say this, but you know, make the most practical choice that also fits with our long-term strategy. We have limited resources as many, many organizations, well, all organizations have limited resources. There's not an endless bucket of dollars for, for people to tap and endless, you know, pool of people to pull from. It's a lot of peas in that sentence right there. But, you know, make the most practical choice that also fits with your long-term strategy. If you've all committed to the strategy, if you've written it down as a team, You've communicated it throughout the organization. You know, you can think ahead on all of that stuff and you don't have to let your short-term choices compromise the long-term strategy. So maybe, and and if you've been transparent about that and you've communicated it widely throughout the organization, your colleagues in other departments or your colleagues above you or below you will respond. And they they may come to you with like, oh, I want to do X, Y, Z. And you say, well... We, we also would like to do that, but you know, the, this vendor you're bringing to us doesn't, doesn't meet our goal of managing IT risk because they don't 
you know, comply with the standard ISO, you know, 27001, the standard we said was part of this, this goal. So this is a maybe on this, we'd have to do additional vetting on it. It'll, there's a trade-off there on like implementation time. Do you still want to go down that path? And if you've been honest and, and transparent and you've built trust in the organization around that goal, they all respond kind of favorably. They're like, okay, I see what you guys are trying to do in IT and what we're doing here on the business side. And those don't have to be different things. It's a team. You can make it work that way. You can make it work like a team. And that's all, that's all super satisfying, especially when it clicks, you know? Yeah. You're actually describing a very different kind of an IT leader as well. I'm listening to you speak and I'm thinking to myself like, wow, it's fascinating to hear sort of this governing framework because it sounds like it's very collaborative. It's one very much of enabling and supporting. And those aren't things that we think about traditionally from IT, right? IT is a roadblock. Yeah. They hold marketing Control. hostage. So <laughs> is that something that was already in place? Are you feeling like you're shaping some of that culture? Like, how is that working? I think the communication of it is maybe something new in the organization. Yeah, I've only been at Astro for 18 months. I've started right before the pandemic, which was obviously a, a fun and challenging time. But the communication of it, the kind of like hitting it in every meeting, every one of our, I know the, the, folks who, who roll up to me are, are sick of seeing the, the strategy slide, but we put the strategy slide on everything we do with every part of the organization. Like, it's just, remember everybody, these are the five things. Like we've, this is the commitment for the next three years. Or when we wrote it, it was three years ahead. So we'll, we'll look back at that, obviously. But communicating that every time with every touch, I think that's important to remind people, like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're supporting you. And, and you build trust through that because they see you performing that every day. And did you have to get executive buy-in to that strategy? Tell us a little bit more about that, because that sounds like a really great and practical tip that folks can step away with. I had my initial observations, of course, within two or three months of you know joining the organization. And so probably around January or February, I joined Astro in November of 2019, probably around January or February, kind of went to the executive team and, of course, preceded with my boss, the CFO, and laid out what the strategy would be for the next three years. Those principles, how we would organize work. Um, and then gave a very practical example of the security plan that would roll up underneath that first goal and plan that out and, and show them, okay, here, here are the things we're going to do. And then as we kind of linearly move through time, advertise to the rest of the organization, the accomplishment of those goals. As we hit those milestones, write a post on the internet that says, thank you guys for supporting us on this. We, as a team, all of us, we have achieved this goal. We've, we got MFA in place for everything where our work around business intelligence is starting to pay off. Here's some training on that. And here's how we're going to use that to make better business decisions or another, this pilot was successful. This was part of our, this goal, XYZ goal. Thank you all for helping us do that. Cause you were part, you were that success, not part of it. Like we're, we're doing it together. I think that's the thing that you need to do in order to have successful change management, build trust, communicate, all, all the things. But I think it's so easy to take it for granted. But it, these are the things that you're talking about, I think, are the hardest of things uh, because you really have to make that change. And like you said, it has to start with trust. 
but really transparency, communication, getting buy-in. And it's sort of, I always say that's the softer side of Sears. It's hard. Yeah, right, right, right. That was, that, that's, that's an example of great branding if um, we're, we're still saying that. That is, I say that all the time. <laughs> Does that just mean that we're getting older? <laughs> My son has no clue what I'm talking about. He's like, what is that, mom? But, you know, but, but it's interesting because I think these are the hard things within an organization and making sure that there's a lot of transparency. And I'm curious, do you also do a lot of KPIs as part of this communication or do you just sort of do visibility and communication and milestones and thanking folks? What does that look like? For, you know, for the broader, we don't show our KPIs, but for the internal organization, my applications and infrastructure teams. And one thing I started doing when, immediately when I got there here at Astro was monthly IT management, you know, roll up. That's, you know, something I just thought was fair to my boss. Like you should know exactly what's going on in the IT organization or know the risks we're managing, know the the short-term projects we're working on and the long-term projects we're working on and the status of those projects. You should know on each of these strategic goals, what are some KPIs that we're watching on a daily, you know, weekly, monthly basis to you know, measure where we are and um, decide how to allocate resources. So we, we started doing that on a monthly basis and pulled two of my, uh, you know, assistant directors into, you know, the meeting and we, you know, kind of build the deck each month, but, but set a pattern on what we were, what we report. And we have a really good, you know, thoughtful Q&A discussion with my boss every month about what IT is accomplishing, which is great. And then what IT roadblocks exist, what, what are the blockers that are kind of slowing us down so that he can help, help us get the organization to the, to the end, to the goals, to the milestones that we've laid out. So, so that, that's been, that's been a very important part of the management, you know, of, of how we manage the organization, how, how me and my team manage the organization. So you report to the CFO. A lot of folks are saying like, wow, CFO, CEOs, people who don't necessarily speak digital, they don't know IT, and rightfully so. They're business people. That's their specialty. But it seems like you're speaking their language and you're translating things into their language. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, how does that work? What are some tips that you have there? Yeah, that, that's a great question. That That's super important for any sort of like CIO role or director of IT role or IT consultant role. The reason why we are here is to support and advise the business, not, not even like support so much, but like advise the business. Like, how are you going to get to the business goal that you have by importantly, leveraging technology, leveraging people, leveraging operationals, operational improvements, all that stuff. You have to talk. I'm not going to talk to my boss or the CEO about like our firewall settings or hyper-specific infrastructure or application code, you know, development work. But I'm, I am going to talk to them about like the projects that we have in place or have in mind to advance the goals of the business, like you know, expanding membership, expanding online learning, making sure making sure our internal resources can collaborate better so that their productivity rises. Like I couch a lot of my language and in the IT space and in this role, catch a lot of my language and uh, descriptions of the work we're doing in terms of increasing productivity in the organization, like getting the right tool in the right hands. The person is <clears throat> very productive or more productive than they were 
because labor is the most expensive thing that we have in the organization. So if you're taking the cost management angle, where IT can be super helpful is, okay, let's make sure that labor is getting the most bang for the buck. That may mean you select a IT tool that's slightly more expensive, but it saves 15 hours a month of one person's time or 30 hours a month of two people's time. You get that back in productivity. And being able to make those arguments, I think those those types of arguments resonate with business leaders because they're managing a PNL and they know they have inputs and outputs, not 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 just one or the other. Well, speaking of productivity and PNL, right? We've all been at home for the last 17 months or so doing lots of remote work and uh, productivity has been a challenge in some ways. People are trying to keep the dog from barking when Amazon is coming up the driveway, manage kids, homeschooling, all that crazy stuff. What have you been thinking about what have you been doing in order to really allow your employees, your team, your organization to work together more closely? Yep. That's a great question. I, I think there are a lot of views out there. The one one big view is productivity has taken a hit. Another another view, which I, I ascribe to more, is that productivity has increased. And I think there's some data. There's probably data on, that explains both of those arguments or, or makes both of those arguments. But what we're doing to make sure that people's productivity stays the same or increases is we've really gone all in on the Microsoft tech stack. Teams has obviously been amazing. Their their usage has increased. I mean, I think they're at 100 more than 175 million monthly users. I think they before the pandemic they were at 33 million monthly users. They've invested a ton in that product, billions of dollars in that product, I'm sure. And for us, leveraging the Microsoft stack, we have almost everything we need to do our jobs almost almost on our mobile phones at this point where we use SharePoint for you know document management file collaboration co-authoring we obviously use email but e- but even email internally is less and less i mean i iming and, and video conferencing on teams those have just been hugely collaborative innovations before the pandemic I see my team in the office, kind of stroll past them in the hallway, and we maybe chat a little bit. Everyone's running places. During the pandemic, we have, of course, like everybody else, maybe too many video calls, but you do feel that connection over video that maybe we didn't really have before. Or maybe it was the stress of the pandemic. It was also very stressful, but but it was the team, the team really connected. And um, I think the it, it's amazing we live in a time where these tools actually exist and did not shut down, you know, did not shut down productivity from the work sense. I remember talking to you at one point and you said, hey, I was writing or you were in the midst of writing a bring your own device to work policy. And I was like, wow, or bring your work home policy, <laughs> as the case might be. Have you had to write any kind of policies or give advice to your team or to your organization around working from home and keeping the home environment more secure in order to support work? Things like what kind of a router do you need? What kind of security protocol should you have on your own Wi-Fi? Are you talking about any of that? We are. It's, it's, um, it's interesting you ask that question. We are because we've acknowledged, the organizations acknowledge the reality of work from anywhere. It's a WFA. Like their people are, we're moving into a more flexible world on all of that stuff. Not, not just Astro, but everybody. And right now, we're, I actually have a meeting later today with my uh, network engineer to talk about, okay, what, what security requirements are we going to put in place 
for work from anywhere. We, we um, <clears throat> obviously had some emergency flexibility over the course of the pandemic, but we're moving into the new reality and we need policy around. We don't want you working from a coffee shop with 12 other people on an open Wi-Fi network. You know, but how why? are we going to control that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems great, but the coffee is probably not worth the, uh, the security risk. So we'll start, we'll document that. We'll manage that through Intune and Endpoint Manager on Microsoft. We'll have secure, you know, connected laptops that support that. But we're, we're definitely going to need some controls around that. Um, Microsoft dumped a ton, a ton of dollars into Teams product development. They have now like end-to-end encryption on point-to-point meetings. I don't think they have it on the group meetings yet, like larger meetings. But if you're calling me and I'm calling you, that's encrypted end-to-end at this point, which is, I'm sure, to support future telemedicine use cases as CMS or, or any of the other or health regulatory organization changes that to be more flexible on a permanent basis. Um, but yeah, we're in the midst of that right now. We'll have practice out on it by November. We'll definitely have policy done this summer. Who writes all of your policies? It's a mix. We have we have a really great HR team. It just does a ton of research. It does a lot of like co- comparables research, specifically on the IT stuff. That's that's me. Like I'm I, I'm the one to write the policy. One of the questions that I always get, and so I'm curious to kind of ask you as well, is how do you actually codify your policies? How does that actually get disseminated to everybody in the organization? How do they know what policies are out? So our primary document for that, our, our primary documentation for that, is the employee handbook, which is it's relatively thick and encompasses a lot. But as far as like things changing, how to manage that and communicate that, we're using our SharePoint-based intranet. We're hosting training meetings. Our HR department does a great job of like, okay, hey, we need to talk about this. So there'll be training on that. Or And we have a monthly staff meeting, which is the staff meetings that I've been to in the past have not been as collaborative and like open and transparent as the staff meetings here. And the all staff meeting is is usually a great place to share little things and big things and and keep the uh, organization informed and IT on a monthly basis has something to share. It sounds like there's actually a lot of collaboration already and coordination, certainly a lot more than in many other larger organizations that I see. Can you just talk a little bit about are there functions or opportunities that you see for folks collaborating more closely together, especially if we're going to be still working remotely or having more flexibility in terms of coming into the office? Yeah, definitely. Here, the online marketing organization in the marketing organization in the membership organization, that's a that's a separate that is separate from IT here at Astro. But my first focus in getting here was build trust and build a great relationship with my colleague over there because it's a obviously in this era for any business that is uh, the super important way of communicating with customers and in our case members you know that that was the first that was really the first relationship i focused on when i got here and that's paid off a ton we we're actually going to sit down later this week to collaborate on our budgets for next year because there's obviously like a, a cross collaboration and uh, and needs that could be supported by both budgets so we're going to be you know tightly integrated on that this year we did a little bit of that last year but we're really going to get into it this year It sounds like you're doing a lot of things right and also moving at a fairly rapid pace, which is a little bit unusual. uh, (laughs) Well, you're laughing, but it's true. Yeah, well, you're doing and trying and doing, but 
You know, when we look at the healthcare arena, we see a lot of changes happening, but they seem very, very slow. In fact, I think somebody said the word molasses to me last week. <laughs> Things that are easy for grocery stores are hard for hospitals. You're in the healthcare arena. Is HIPAA really the biggest hurdle that you see from an executive perspective and slowing things down? Or what else can we do to speed up this change? I'm not sure HIPAA is the kind of the, I mean, obviously there are challenges and, but I'm not sure it's the, the kind of like the boogeyman that's like slowing down everything else. So maybe that's sort of a contrarian view. I think it's just realistic to acknowledge the fact that talent in the industry is scarce. People who can communicate and what learners who, learners in IT who want to change their skills or want to lead even like those, these are kind of like scarce things. And that's the thing that kind of slows down change. And so when you're leading an organization, I think you have to put a lot of focus on that. Like, okay, we are going to change. Change is inevitable. I mean, you know, just broadly, broadly speaking, change is inevitable. So I want you all and I want, you know, people on my team to to learn, be learners, be people who tackle problems in the strategic framework that we've laid out. These are the five things that we are going to do over the next three years. These are the five goals. Get all of your goals, get all of your learning, get all of your leadership organized underneath and together we can drive change in the organization. So as a healthcare executive and as folks are listening to you, how would you suggest that they make their strategy future-proof? What what do you do? What are you thinking? I think um, it really comes down, if you think about the people that are in your organization, that's that's really your big lever for future-proofing. The future is uncertain and definitely gets more uncertain the further you go out. But if you hire people, or even in more dour approaches, separate people who don't fit that, which a lot of organizations do, that's that's how you're going to future-proof and how you're going to make sure that your org and the you know, the wider org evolves in the way, the way you want it. They, they have to be people who like to learn, people who like to solve problems, people who want to lead, and not not lead necessarily like on every large initiative, but you know the more practical things, the practical things we talked about, the day to day things we talked about, identifying those people and making them feel great about the work they're doing. You know, that's the people are the big lever that you have in order to future proof. It's there's not like a magic, there's not a magic IT tool or, or platform, though Azure is very good and, and so is AWS. <laughs> so, it sounds like Microsoft uh, is paying you on the side, quite frankly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a great company. My my background's actually from the AWS side. And uh, but this was a Microsoft shop when I got here. And the skills are are Microsoft skills. Now the organization, the IT team is a Microsoft shop. So I drink my own Kool-Aid, I've learned and I've learned a lot about what, what Azure is doing and how, how we can leverage that to achieve our business goals. That's great. And I, I, you just talked about really having the team be very kind of forward leaning, very learning, evolving, open to change. I think we've both have worked, unfortunately, in some environments where that's not always the case. Very hard. And, but that's a reality, I think, for a lot of organizations, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Any advice you have for those folks um, who are dealing with a counterpart, maybe, who isn't willing to change, who isn't as open, perhaps, as a Pat Doherty is? Like- Great question. I think, I think if you invest really in honesty and transparency, that can really pay off with people like that. Because eventually you can go to them and be like, I've been telling you what we're doing for a long time. I've been totally transparent about it. 
you're a blocker. So tell me why you're a blocker, or maybe we have to talk about some other option for you. I think, and and I know that's not realistic. The, the second part of that's maybe not realistic for most organizations all the time. But if you're being honest and transparent and you've laid out the goals and then you've identified a blocker in a person, for example, you're going to have this, the, the other support, the support of your other colleagues up and down the organization to make a change or blow through that blocker. Um, I think that's probably like the, that's the practical reality of like investing in honesty and transparency. That's great advice, actually. I, I think I trust and adapt to that or adopt that aspect. So appreciate that. Well, this has been great. I'm just, I'm so excited to hear about all these really great things that you're up to and that you're working on. It's a lot of um, stuff, but, you know, I'm also fascinated that you've embraced this role coming in as a consultant and just really living the day in and day out as a part of the organization. How is it, how is it being in the dark side or am I on the dark side? <laughs> well, uh, Chris, you are obviously on the dark side as the consultant. It, it, it's been great. I've en- I've enjoyed it. Like I said, the team has been amazing. Everyone's treated me with such such openness. I've been happy to help me help the organization. So, I've I've really enjoyed it. Like I said, this is kind of my first real mission-based organization. And that's that's been completely new to me. And the people that come with that, that's sort of new to me. So, I've, I'm a lifelong learner. I've I've really enjoyed that. I, I like I like seeing those things. So what is the next big challenge or the next big learning adventure that you're going to be taking? As we work through our plans and achieve some of the goals we've laid out with the, the, achieve some of the projects that we've laid out underneath our strategic goals, I think after this kind of two and a half, three year period, we're really going to be able to take advantage of some of those things, really upping our game on business intelligence for the organization. I think that's, that's right on the horizon. We've run a couple pilot projects. Those have been really successful. We've got like a nice methodology down that works for the organization. Like we, we're really going to be able to get some leverage out of that work, those investments. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the, you know, the staff that's working on that, but the data layer and at the presentation layer, they're learning a ton and reaping the rewards of Microsoft's investment in Power BI. So <laughs> there's, the, there's the last plug. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you're actually going to be able to reap the rewards of everything that you've own and really kind of like enjoy that uh, proverbial IT garden. So that's great. Well, come back and tell us more about that as things start to unravel. I will. But I will. Uh, appreciate you being with us today. I'm always so delighted to speak with you, but you've given us lots of practical advice and Pat can't thank you enough. Thank you for joining the Power of Digital Policy. To sign up for our newsletter, get access to policy checklists, detailed information on policies, and other helpful resources, head over to thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com. If you get a moment, please leave a review on iTunes to help your digital colleagues find out about the podcast. 